sound in the back. Great. It's so nice to see your faces. It's like looking out at a different hall. I'd like to start the evening together by telling an embarrassing story. But it's not about me. It's about my beloved life partner who's sitting just in the back row. (laughs) So once upon a time, there was a little yogi. His name was Nico. He was 25 years old. He was young, inspired, and just beginning his first three-month retreat in the Zen tradition, the beautiful Zen mountain monastery in Colorado. And at 25, he'd already been meditating for eight years. He was very committed, sat long retreat, and he was on fire for awakening. So enter Tangario. And those of you who are familiar with the Zen tradition will know that for generations in Japan, Three-month retreat begins with a period of Tangario for those who are new. So those yogis who have never sat a three-month before sit outside the temple gates for three days in the weather, in the frost, to prove their motivation before they're invited into the retreat. And in Colorado, it was a little gentler. They sat inside. But Tongario was still three days of very intense sitting. So three in the morning, wake up, sit until breakfast. They had breakfast in the Zendo meditation posture. Short break, sit until lunch, sit until dinner until bed. So there were six or seven yogis also sitting Tangario at that time. And our friend Nico was young, cis-hetero male, uh, maybe a little macho, (laughs) and really intense. He names it a flaming hot urgency for enlightenment right then. So he jumped out of bed at three, (laughs) They started the morning sit. It's a beautiful zendo, just so uh, thick with meditation and, you know, the dark night sky, these six or seven yogis sitting together. And he could feel the samadhi start to gather in the hall. So he's settling. And in Zen, stillness is very important. Big value in, in Zen, not to move at all. And so they sat for an hour. And then in some sort of silent agreement, all the yogis uncrossed their legs, took a little stretch, 
recrossed and settled in again. But not Nico. <laughs> he decided in that moment, somewhat spontaneously, I don't think very uh, deliberately, that he was not going to move. So he began his second hour, started to feel just a dull throb in the right hip. And he watched as it traveled up his right side, into the shoulder, down the arm. Second hour, the yogis again in silent agreement on cross, just a little stretch. And again, Nico remained still. He's feeling this pain now travel into his jaw, up into his temple, across his forehead, until the way he describes it, it's as if his whole body had been doused in kerosene and someone lit a match, burning. And so he doubled down, and everything in his system said, stay. And it was right about then that he lost consciousness. <laughs> Passed out in the hall, straight down, keeled over with nothing but his forehead to hit the floor. <laughs> and he says he woke to a bald German man staring down at him, looking concerned. This was the Eno, the head of the temple in dark robes. And Nico straightened up and he said, I can keep sitting. And the Eno said, you're bleeding. And Nico said, doesn't matter, I can keep sitting. And the Eno very, very kindly, very gently said, I think it's time for a cup of tea. So tonight I'd like to talk about wise effort. <laughs> or balancing your energy on the path. You've been hearing about the five spiritual faculties. Faith energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. These can be seen as our best friends, our allies on the journey of understanding. And they're most powerful when they're balanced. Faith needs to be balanced with wisdom so that it's not blind or shrill. And wisdom needs faith, so that it's not shallow or even sometimes hypocritical. Energy and effort brings lucidity and clarity, but it needs concentration and calm, otherwise it's just restlessness and agitation. And concentration, or samadhi, calm, needs energy. Otherwise, we just fall asleep. <laughs> and mindfulness is the factor that balances them all. And so we, we always love mindfulness. We need it all the time. It's always beneficial. 
our beloved teacher, the Burmese monk Sayadaw Utejaniya, says that when all of these faculties come into balance, then we're really meditating. That's meditation. So these are wonderful faculties to befriend, to know for yourself. Sharon Salzberg has this to say. She says, It's a great turning point in our spiritual lives when we go from intellectual appreciation of a path to the heartfelt confidence that says, yes, it's possible to awaken. I can. I can too. A tremendous joy accompanies this confidence. When we place our hearts upon the practice, the teachings come alive. This is the turning point from faith to energy. So virya in Pali can be translated as energy, effort, diligence, enthusiasm, an attitude of gladly engaging in wholesome activities. Virya, I love this word. For those of us who practice yoga, virbhadrasana, warrior pose. And imagery is always very important to me in my practice. So the image of virya for me is from Wonder Woman. If you've seen the movie, maybe you'll remember the first scenes, very powerful scenes of these strong women on horses in battle. Remember this? By the ocean, there's cliffs. That is Virya. You can be Wonder Woman on your cushion. (laughs) And its proximate cause, what gives rise to energy, is faith. This confidence we've been talking about. I'm sure you felt it. These moments of opening or even a little ease in the practice and this energy arises. But knowing how to balance effort, as you well know after three full days of practice, is so important. We often feel like we're swinging around. So we need wise effort, balanced energy in retreat. But in some ways, even more so in our lives. Your life is your practice. And especially nowadays, isn't it overwhelming? There's so much to do that's asking for our engagement, that needs our attention, So easy to burn out. It can be a daily experience. Overwhelm. And just the sense of how do I do? How do I stay balanced in this storm? So what we're doing here in the practice is we're refining what's important. What do I really care about? What do I value? What do I want to prioritize? And this clarity then does help us know there's never going to be an end to things. 
There's always going to be more to do. And yet when we can move from our center with that kind of integrity, we have the energy to know exactly how to titrate, how to calibrate what's important. And we move from that knowing. So our beloved Vietnamese Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, he tells this well-known story of the refugee boats. I was telling this in a group one today. It's crowded refugee boats coming from Vietnam and they encountered pirates and storms out on the ocean. And if everyone was reactive and overwhelmed in the boat, it was pretty dangerous, right? Everyone panicked. It had this sense of they all would be lost. And yet if just one person stayed centered, calm, balanced, then that was potentially enough. Showed the way for everyone to survive. So this is what he says. He says, every day we do things. We are things. All of this has to do with peace. If we're aware of our lifestyle, of what really matters, we'll know how to make peace right in the moment that we're alive. So wise effort is about presence. It's about clarity and knowing ourselves intimately and knowing that this taking care of ourselves is really taking care of everybody. It points to our interdependence. We're all in the same boat. So again, Thich Nhat Hanh, I am a continuation like the rain is a continuation of a cloud. So we can really trust that all this hard work that we're doing here that feels so subtle and so internal, that it has ripples. This is our service. We do bring it out into the world with us. And when a complete and continuous effort is cultivated, it's onward leading. It grows mindfulness. It grows samadhi, leading to wisdom. And we see this in its interacting with all these other factors, not only with the five faculties, this list, but effort is in many of the lists. It's an awakening factor. It's a factor of the Eightfold Path. So it's always interacting. It's always integrating. Ajahn Suchito names energy as intelligence in the system. And that as we practice and refine and attune, all we're doing is unlocking. We're learning how to unlock the energy that's already here, this intelligence that's already here. I love this definition because it points to the visceral quality. I'm sure you felt this energy as you're doing mindfulness of the body over these days. And these words, again from Suchito, it's bristling or rough. It can be smooth, calm, harmonizing, electric, sluggish, indolent. Sometimes it's edgy or thick and sticky. 
So we're coming to know energy in the body, learning how it can feel flowing and smooth, kind even, graceful. And when we bring this calm and simple, cool awareness to all of these energies, all of this human experience, the chaos inside, it naturally harmonizes and naturally balances. And I find, again, these images helpful because we feel all this happening inside, and yet we find so much virya in nature, don't we? The wind moving through the leaves today, the ocean, the ocean waves, fire. I had the great good fortune to teach in Iceland a few years back, and whoa, power in nature the ocean and the rocks and the wind. And so we're finding intelligence in the system, but knowing it's nature and it's all around us too. In some ways, the whole frame of practice is just listening to that intelligence. When we listen, we learn to respond skillfully. T.S. Eliot says, it's music heard so deeply that it's not heard at all. But you are the music while the music lasts. Another term in Pali for wise effort in the Eightfold Path is Sama Wayamo. Wayamo being effort, and sama often translated as wise or right effort. But another translation that I really like is complete. Completion, complete effort. That points to the integrated quality of it, that it's complete when it has all its other factors. When there's a wise view here of all the ways we're interdependent, nature, energy, inside, outside, we're in the dance. We might try to find this perfect static, you know, balance, right? We hear so much about balance. I just got to get the balance, right? But it's changing. (laughs) It's always influenced by all all the other conditions. And so completion might not feel the same all the time, moment to moment. It's very dynamic and unique, personal to you. I know you know this story, but it's one of our favorites. And so from the Buddha's suttas, we hear about this monk named Sona. And Sona is a striver. Anyone relate to striving? (laughs) Sona's trying so hard to wake up. And he's doing so much walking meditation that his feet are bleeding. And the Buddha comes and he sees, okay, maybe time to intervene. And he knows that Sona was a musician before he took the robes. And so wisely, the Buddha uses this simile saying that wise effort is like tuning your instrument. We know this. So the strings are not too tight and not too loose. But my friend, wonderful teacher, Shelley Graff, they did research into the history of music of the time of the Buddha. And we think now about tuning a guitar 
metal strings, little knob that you just turn very easily. But at that time, musical instruments, these strings may be made of rope, fibrous material, or even like intestine dried. So it was quite an effort to tune them, right? So when we're talking about attunement, so subtle, how to get that pitch just right. And that each instrument was unique to the musician's body. So again, no template. And this effort, this beautiful, refined subtlety of getting this string just right to each unique body. That's completion, complete energy. So all well and good to hear, but how? How do we balance our energy? Balance between relaxation and exertion. So I would say this is a generalization. So not always true, but I would say in general, we're taught to use energy in a business kind of model. A model where we are goal-oriented. We are oriented towards achievement. We're going to get our goal. We need success, right? We're moving from here to there, and we're going to use effort to get there. So you can think about how this might apply in other daily activities. If you're anything like me, how do you clean the house? There's a lot of elbow grease in there. Clean this bathroom. Get it done. Even reading the news, got to get through it right? Going through my email, so striving, this sort of even subtle pushing to get through the to-do list, to get through the day. We bring this to our work, of course. We're exercising. You got to get the right amount of steps in the day. (laughs) Perfect your pose. We do this in relationships. We do this in our schedule. (laughs) We do this in Tangario, sitting for three days. And we might be doing that a little bit here with our practice. Just a little bit. Anybody have goals and expectations? (laughs) Wanting to get somewhere in this retreat by Thursday? (laughs) And so we're really trained to push, push and push and push. It's like this toppling forward. And for me... And this is maybe my favorite story from the suttas. The Buddha talked, talked to this. He can speak to us across time. He knew this human condition. And so the story of Rohitasa. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Rohitasa. I like to imagine Rohitasa as a sort of youthful sprite, probably non-binary, <laughs> a lot of energy, young, brilliant, very skillful. Rohitasa was a child of a deva who had a superpower, and they could travel really fast. The powerful skywalker. Their speed was as fast as that of a strong archer. Well-trained, practiced hand, they shot like an arrow across the land. 
Their stride stretched as far as the East Sea is from the West. And endowed with such speed, such stride, there came the desire in Rohitasa. I will go traveling to the end of the world. And so they spent 100 years traveling, circling the globe, but never reaching the end of the world. And so I think Rohitasa was probably a little tired. (sighs) I often feel this way, a little out of breath. Coming to the Buddha, I have tried. Encircling the globe, even with my superpower. And is it possible through traveling to reach the end of the world? And the Buddha looks, I think with some compassion, on their child, Rohitasa, and says, No. I say, Rohitasa, it's not possible through traveling to reach the end of the world, to reach the end of suffering. The world, Rohitasa, the beginning of the world, the end of the world, the cause of the world, is in this fathom-long body with its sensations, perceptions, cognition. The whole world, its beginning and its end, the end of suffering, is right here. is how beloved Buddhist nun Pema Chodron says. She says, it's helpful to realize that this very body we have that's sitting right here now with its aches and its pleasures is exactly what we need to be fully human, fully awake and fully alive. It's such good medicine, isn't it, for those of us who are so eager to topple forward and look outside ourselves and think we need more and something better and a better sit and better posture. Just take care of all my pain so that then I can practice. It's right here. What if we didn't have to try so hard? What if we have enough? We are enough. And so you've heard us say that we can keep it simple. Again, Sayada Utejaniya. Right now, are you aware of your posture? Are you aware of your hands? Can you feel your feet? And notice how little energy this takes. It's all the energy you need to remain aware. That's it. It's already happening. And we need to do this all day long. So instead of a push and a strive, it's the long view. How do we sustain so that it becomes continuous? And I loved Matthew's story. Matthew's an only child. I am too. And so this game of keeping the balloon in the air, just getting under it, tap, tap. That's wise effort. So light. So light. So my equivalent when I was a kid is, is I like to hula hoop. 
And so sometimes I would hula hoop, but sometimes I would actually live down a flat street and I would roll the hula hoop over the road. I had a kind of a baton that I would use. And this is, I think, actually an apt parallel to wise effort. It would take some energy to get the hula hoop rolling down the road. Sometimes we have to, but once it's going, once there's momentum, tap, tap. You know, you have to keep balance. There's a wobble sometimes, but it's lighter than we think. You know, if you push too hard, it's going to go out of control. Anybody felt that? (laughs) Yeah, so gentle, sustained. It's a kind of conserving your energy, knowing you're in it for the long haul. A relaxed continuity. So I had the great good fortune of living in Hawaii for a year. I found so much Dharma in Hawaii, in the language, the land, the culture. It's a lot of Dharma. And one of my favorite terms is, that's not my kuleana. So kuleana has lots of meanings. My understanding of it, though, is responsibility. And this sense of responsibility, stewardship, integrity, very important in Hawaiian culture. But it also takes skill to know, okay, what's my plot of land? What's my responsibility? And what's not? I think often we're doing, we're stepping outside that boundary. You know, is this thinking really necessary? taking on more than we need to, and that creates a lot of anxiety and restlessness. Do I need to worry about what's going to happen next week when I go home? Do I need to sit here and ruminate about my grown children? So it's an art. It's a discernment. Sometimes it's asking, is it necessary? Is this really within my plot of land to care for? Is this even under my control? And discerning, some is. Some really is. And that plot of land, yes, you want to take responsibility for that. That's your kuleana. But we're coming to know, what's that boundary? And often it's a kind of surrender. We give all of this back to nature, that which is ungovernable. I've heard so many moving stories with you in the groups. And we know so well, don't we? This practice is so humbling. And we sit moment by moment, often with bodily pain. There's so much in this room. There's grief and loss and anger and fear. And so we need our faith. We need our confidence to keep our hearts steady through all these edges. And through this, we find the continuous kind of energy, this kind of uprightness, responsibility. Okay, I know how to work with this kind of pain, moment to moment. I'm showing up. And each moment that we do that with a kind of dignity and confidence, we, we grow this sense like, oh, this practice works. 
I was just with my pain, right? And you're doing it. You're here, day three. So we learned it's not about pushing away the difficulties, but working with them skillfully and knowing, oh, I can allow them. We're learning to surrender to our limitations, listening, a receptive ear. Okay, so this might be my favorite quote of all time. Some of you have heard this many times. So you you might just want to sit up a little straighter. Uh, This is Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche. He's a wonderful Dzogchen master of the last century. And this is his instructions for us. The everyday practice is simply to develop a complete acceptance and openness to all situations and emotions and to all people. Experiencing everything totally without mental reservations and blockages so that one never withdraws or centralizes into oneself. This produces a tremendous energy which is usually locked up in the process of mental evasion and a general running away from life experiences. So obviously this practice isn't for the faint of heart, experiencing everything completely, acceptance and openness to everything. But that's, every time I hear this, I'm a little inspired, you know? There's a sense of, oh, maybe that's possible. And that we do have these reserves of energy that do get kind of locked up and bound up and all of our resistances, and all of our pushing away, and our contraction. And that slowly, slowly, it takes a lot of patience, of course, and so much compassion. We're just surrendering, opening, resting, just a little more, a little more. So humbling. And yet, there's payback. I'm sure you felt this. When you can open a little more, surrender, get humble, soften. There's a sense of, oh, maybe renewed energy. Maybe a sense of, okay, another walking period. I think I can do this one. Momentum grows. And so we're balancing the energy. Mostly we're learning to relax and let go. But you've also seen, I'm sure, this takes virya. Right? Sometimes we need strength. We need some power and force. Not a pushing kind of strivey force, but that kind of warrior energy. There's a ferocity in this practice. Have you, have you noticed that? when you have to meet pain again and again and again. It's a fierce compassion that we're growing, capacity that we're growing. A poem, this is Longing by Julie Cadwallader Staub. Consider the black pole warbler. She tips the scales at one ounce 
before she migrates, taking off from the sea coast to our east, flying higher and higher, ascending two or three miles during her 80 hours of flight until she lands in Tobago, north of Venezuela, three days older and weighing half as much. She flies over open ocean almost the whole way. Oh, she's not so different from us. The arc of our lives is a mystery too. We do not understand. We cannot see what guides us on our way. That longing that pulls us toward light. Not knowing, we fly onward, hearing the dull roar of the waves below. I think this little black pole warbler, who's one ounce, She has some viria in her. Just the intelligence in the system. That's our birthright. And we have too. The breath, the uprightness of your spine, the beating of the heart. It's all here. But sometimes we might feel that need of, okay, I need a little force, I need a little power here, and how do I access it? There's all kinds of ways you can contemplate your trust and confidence in the path. You can think about your ethics, your wholesomeness, your goodness. It's also buoying, brings energy. The goodness of what we're all doing here collectively, relying on each other, that brings energy, feeling all the energy around us. But one of my favorites is to contemplate impermanence. And I've heard this, so many of you here coming to group and saying, I'm so grateful to be here. When we contemplate how rare and precious this opportunity is, we've learned with COVID, it's not always here. And the sense of spiritual urgency, look, all the effort it took to get here all the people who are supporting us to be here, and knowing these days are passing. We don't know when we're going to be able to come back here. So impermanence, oh. For me, it's so tenderizing, and and also some fear. (laughs) Really deep contemplation of impermanence and death. Some of you are very intimate with death. We don't know. We really don't know. And so drawing on this sense of really precious, these moments are precious together. There are conditions that come and fall apart, and they're coming together and falling apart all the time. So can we take use, make Use of this. Don't waste your time. This brings a great, a deep kind of energy that's not shallow, it's not brittle. It's coming from your gut. And I've seen it. We have it here. We're doing it. And what we bring attention to is magnified. 
And so when you tap into that intelligence that's here already, this kind of motivation, this wisdom, it grows, it powers us on. It's the wind in our sails. And so, as we, be, we continue together on this path, surrendering, humbly, attuning, listening deeply, and finding the balance of energy in any given moment, with a lot of care, a lot of integrity, this view that knows we're not alone, we're doing this together, we can really trust that this, this leads us onward. And often less is more, that it's already happening, that it's just setting that wheel rolling and then knowing, tap, tap, it's going on its own. Often a question I like to ask is uh, both in retreat and also in daily life, is what I'm doing now, is it leading towards liberation? Is the way I'm sitting, the way I'm practicing, is this leading to my freedom? Is my determination to stay perfectly still in alignment with my freedom and my liberation? (laughs) Or is it keeping me bound? Is it keeping me bound in my story, in my habit, in my push? And is there maybe another way? Is there maybe some quiet music playing in the background already? And can I follow that rather than... Yeah. So we're watering the seeds that are already here. We already are enough. We have what we need all here in this fathom long body. And knowing that as we tune our instrument, that this naturally grows mindfulness. And mindfulness is that, the little spice that balances everything. And that we'll hear a lot more about mindfulness tomorrow. So thank you for your kind attention. And... You can sit quietly, just letting the words drop away. And perhaps also tuning, listening. Even now in the hall, sensing this, I feel a kind of energy here. And knowing we're balancing together in the silence. little black pole warbler. 
She's not so different from us. The arc of our lives is a mystery too. We do not understand. We cannot see what guides us on our way. That longing that pulls us toward light. Not knowing, we fly onward, hearing the dull roar of the waves below. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.